Thank you, Peter. Good to be back with you again, and thank you for the opportunity of just opening the Word of God with you. Our reading this morning is in Colossians chapter 4, and you may remember that last week we had a look at Christian responsibility within the family and uh, in the workplace. Today we're going to look at another subject which lies very close to the surface of this reading. We're reading from verse 2 of Colossians chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your way of life be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I do notice the little heading which the AV has helpfully put at the head of those verses, which is just called Further Instruction. Further Instructions. I'm going to spend a minute or two just looking at this uh, series of injunctions which the Apostle gives here. But I want to make a confession to you first, and that is that I've been a Christian for more than 60 years. And the thing which I find hardest in my Christian life is prayer. Somehow or other, prayer times get squeezed even in preparation of messages. And more recently, I've been sort of seeking the Lord that he would apply the message to my own heart first. And that has happened uh, more than once in recent weeks. Samuel Chalmers, who was a missionary, a Scottish missionary, to some of the Pacific Islands, once said, that prayer does not prepare us to do a greater work for God. Prayer is a greater work for God. John Hyde of India, who spent most of his life uh, out in India, John Hyde was known as Praying Hyde and had given himself to the work of prayer. And you'll notice that this passage deals first of all with our inner life and then our responsibilities towards others from the point of view of sharing with them something of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I really want to address this to myself as much as to you this morning and just draw your attention to the opening phrase And perhaps you could bring it up again for us. Thank you. The opening phrase being, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. 
So this is not something which comes easy. It's, it's not uh, a requirement which the Apostle Paul places on us that we're going to find simple to apply. Because the word devote means to commit wholeheartedly to. And I suppose the NIV translators chose the word devote rather than the longer phrase because it, it is just as concise and means exactly the same. We, we find all sorts of things encroach upon our time and our personalities. We find all sorts of interest. And, uh, you know, whenever we're outliving our lives, there are all sorts of things that come in to take various places within our considerations. But Paul is really setting this aside as, as an exercise, as, as a responsibility that our whole being has to be committed to the act of praying. And that's hugely difficult. Even in the times that I set aside for prayer, I find my mind all over the place. All sorts of things come into it. I'm sure you don't. I'm sure that you manage to focus much more directly. But this whole question of, of having such a commitment that the, the, the act of praying, the living of praying, the speaking of prayer, the quietness in prayer is somehow or other set apart so that, that God can actually communicate with us as well as us communicating with God. And I really want to emphasize this morning that prayer is a two-way thing. You know, we both need to listen to what God brings to our minds and hearts, and we need to have a commitment to say to him things that are in our minds and hearts. And I think for most of my life I spent far too long telling God what I want him to do rather than making myself available to God to do what he wants with me. And there's a huge difference in that. And I'm sure that when the Apostle Paul comes to the Colossians, and these people he has never met to remember, but he's effectively saying to them that the most important thing they can do in their living is to devote themselves to praying. My grandmother died when she was 94. I never knew my grandmother on my mother's side. She died before I was born. But my grandmother, who was my grandfather's third wife, uh, he had married one wife and she died in childbirth. He married another wife and she died in childbirth. And the third of his wives, whom he spent most of his life with, was the sister of his previously deceased second wife. And uh, I had half-uncles and half-cousins and various bits and pieces that arose in our complicated uh, life. But my grandmother said to me, before she got on, for her, uh, got on an airplane for the first time in her life at the age of 80, to fly to America with her daughter, who was going to marry an American for whatever reason, and... Uh, my grandmother said to me, just before she got on the plane, she, had, she said to me, Peter, I will pray for you every day for the rest of your life. I think she meant to say for the rest of her life. But she said, I'll pray for you every day for the rest of your life. She died in America at the age of 94. I didn't hear about her death for the best part of a week 
But I knew that something had gone out of my life during that week. Didn't know what it was. But then discovered that my grandmother had ceased to pray because the Lord had taken her to glory. There is no more important task that you and I have than to pray to the whole of our being to be available to the Lord so that he can do what he chooses within our lives and in the lives of others. There's a little phrase in Isaiah chapter 40 which has been hugely important to me in my life. And it just says that they shall they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There's no ifs or buts or maybes. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and up. They run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a huge promise, and we need to avail ourselves of it. So we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. We are to have this commitment in prayer. And Paul says three things in relation to it here. He says, first of all, we are to be watchful, then we're to be thankful, and then we are to be purposeful. So you've got another P to remember this morning. But we are to be watchful. Whenever Peter and the other disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane with the Lord Jesus, the Lord said to them, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And three times the Lord Jesus came back to them, having had short prayer periods in between with his Father, and twice he found them asleep. So they weren't very watchful. I don't know if you've ever gone to sleep when you're praying. My father used to say, if the Lord wakens you during the night, he's probably got a prayer for you to say for someone or other, and he should think about what he wants you to pray about. And on occasions when I've wakened during the night, when I've started to pray for someone, the first thing I've done is gone to sleep. We need to be watchful, or perhaps better, wakeful. We need to be awake. In other words, we have to be sensitive in our praying. Prayer is not a... a, a repeat exercise. You know, it's not a question of, of exercising ourselves in prayer just to repeat what we've previously prayed. But it's a recognition that if we're sensitive, if we're, if we're awake to what God is saying to us, then our prayers will be much fresher, much more realistic. Uh, in, in the Bible, whenever people are praying, there are three positions they take. They stand, kneel, or they're on their face. So I don't believe that the position in which we pray is all that significant, is all that significant, significant to the Lord. But I remember once going into a prayer meeting in what was my home assembly in Northern Ireland, and I'd been told to get there early, and I had arrived just after the starting time, which was a quarter past six for a, a seven o'clock service. And there were about 120 men on their knees. And it had a profound impression, made a profound impression on me. In fact, at the end of that prayer time, I couldn't wait to get on the platform to preach. And that doesn't often happen. 
But there was just this huge sense of these men being alert to what the Lord was saying. And they prayed all sorts of different things. Some of them cried out to the Lord for their families. Some of them prayed for world situations. Some of them were just a simple song of praise to the Lord. It was just amazing. 120 men on their knees. How do you stay awake? You know, how, how do you stay watchful? Well, I'm going to make three suggestions to you. You may have, have others in mind, but just to make three. It's good to have a definite time to pray. Otherwise, it becomes a casual exercise rather than a, a directed exercise. It's good to have a particular place for prayer because then the surroundings don't disconnect with what you're engaging in. And it needs, we need to have a sensitivity in prayer. So if we're going to be awake, if we're going to be responsive, you know, I can't emphasize enough this need for being responsive to, to what the Lord's saying into your mind. So the things that are brought to mind are the things you pray about. George Muller, oh, that famous man of orphanage production, um, George Muller had a particular time to pray. He prayed first thing in the morning. And on a number of occasions, whenever uh, tradesmen came to see him, uh, his housekeeper used to say to them, you can't see Mr. Muller yet because this time was set apart for prayer. And sometimes it extended beyond what it normally did. And his housekeeper used to say, you can't see Mr. Muller yet because he hasn't gained access. Well, an interesting phrase. He hasn't gained access. In other words, he still feels the need to be before the Lord. So if we have definite times to pray and and we have a place for prayer, we need to be sensitive and not just truncate it or finish it because we choose to, we choose to do so. So we need to be awake. We need to be thankful. It's interesting that Paul says this, being watchful and thankful. Sometimes there's a danger of presenting a shopping list to God. And I say that carefully. You know, we come before him with such a sense of need that all we do is talk to him about what we think we need. I would question whether that is true prayer at all or not. This whole question of, of thanksgiving, the, the perfume of thanksgiving, which is somehow color our praying, and should be, be part of it. Because it arises from a heart that recognizes God's goodness and God's generosity and the fact that we're his children. I mean, would you take a bunch of, like us, for his children? People are very particular about who they take as children or who they have as children. And they love their own youngsters. I mean, God loves you. He loves me. And the longer I live, the less I understand it. Because I know the sort of man that I am. So my whole life should be a, a heart that recognizes God's goodness and should express that to him and have a memory of his gentleness. And, you know, whenever the Lord himself was uh, being crucified, 
he actually said to the father, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And I think sometimes this whole question of, of recognizing the mercy of forgiveness doesn't color our lives as much as it should. You know, the Lord forgives me every day. And sometimes I find it difficult to forgive someone who, who just steps out of line once as far as I'm concerned. But the Father is a forgiving God. And he has this immense generosity. So I need constantly to be thankful. But then we need to be purposeful. And I want to dwell for a moment here if I can. You know, Paul was a great apostle. He was a great messenger of Christ and accomplished great things, tremendous things. And he says to these people who don't know him, and I found this very telling, Paul says to them, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so it may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then he says again, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, what's unusual about Paul's prayer request? I'm sorry to ask you to think in a service of it. What's unusual about Paul's prayer request? A little phrase, for which I am in chains. Paul was a prisoner in Rome at this time. What would you have asked other people to pray if you had asked them for prayer? Freedom, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that have been the natural thing? Pray that I may be free so that I can go all over the place to preach the gospel as I have been doing. In all of Paul's letters from his prison cell, he never asks once for people to pray that he might be free. And you and I need to be very careful in our praying that we don't pray for the Lord to free people uh, who happen to be in bondage during our generation because we think that would be best for them. Do you understand? Far too often we look at the surface situation and we think it would be really great if so-and-so was free to do such and such. Now it may be in God's purpose that they be free, but that's not what the apostle asked the people to pray for him. And if I may, let me just focus this as clearly as the apostle does. First of all, that God may open a door for our message. One of the, the burdens of a preacher's heart is that people may listen and have doors opened, that there may be an opening door within their lives to the coming of Christ into that life to transform it, that there may be a word and season for the individuals who are in his congregation so that the Lord may open a door, you know, a, a window in the mind, if you like, and someone might say for the very first time, I see what it means to be a Christian. Or someone who is a Christian might say, oh, I need to apply this in my life right now because I see how this message fits with my situation. So he, play, he prays first that God may open a door. And that's only he who can open doors. God may open a door for our message. 
What is the message? That we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And you know, every time we come to think about the Lord Jesus and his work, and the, the mystery of godliness which the apostle talks about, that God has actually manifested himself in flesh, you know, that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ is an immense mystery. How is it possible for God to confine himself in a, a, a human person? How can he become man? You ever think about it? So Paul is engaging in this whole question of proclaiming the mystery of Christ, that God becomes man so that he might die. And the big things then, aren't you? How can God in Christ die? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What does that mean? How can the death of someone 2,000 years ago reconcile all men and women who come to faith in him? How can they be reconciled to God? Because it's what God does, right? All of this business is a mystery because God is engaged in it. And if you and I think we can somehow or other provide a, a trite explanation for what's going on in relation to the incarnation, we've lost the plot that someone who is infinite can find himself in babyhood is a mystery. But it's what God does in Christ. So whenever the apostle talks about proclaiming the mystery of Christ, he's talking about proclaiming all that this message can mean to mankind. You know, he uses a phrase earlier on in this particular epistle where he talks about in him, all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. That is in Christ. These are great mysteries. But the, the great thing that the apostle asked for here is that we might proclaim it clearly, as I should. So as the apostle is preaching, he recognizes how difficult it is to proclaim this message. To proclaim it clearly. Not to proclaim it in such a way that he simplifies it. Don't misunderstand what he's saying here. But he's saying that all that is in this mystery might be proclaimed clearly. So if I ever talk to you about the Lord Jesus, and I trust I do frequently, I need to have a, a clarity in the message. Without him there is no salvation. You know, if you don't know Christ this morning, you're not saved your life is not hidden in Christ. But if you come to know him by faith and come simply to him in prayer and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. I recognize you died for my sin upon the cross. I'm going to make a commitment to you today. Then you're saved. And you don't have to wait for any dawning lights or anything. It's a, it's a reality of what the Lord Jesus said. Him that comes to me, I will under no circumstances cast out. And you come and he takes you, just as you are. So Paul asks that he might proclaim this absolutely clearly, so that there's no doubt in the substance of the message. And then he moves into another area, 
And I want to fairly quickly just look at this very briefly. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Be wise. And again, I say this with some trepidation. But Christians sometimes aren't wise. And maybe you've been conscious of that. Put our feet in it. Because we haven't thought and we haven't flipped a prayer to God. You know, I I love one of the statements in Nehemiah chapter 2. Whenever Nehemiah is facing King Artaxerxes, that king who had the power of life and death over him. And you remember that uh, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. He was in a position of huge responsibility. And one day the king said to him, why are you not happy? In other words, you got a great job and you're responsible for wine tasting for me so I don't get poisoned. Why are you not happy? And that's a very dangerous thing for a king to say to one of his um, servants. You know, because if Nehemiah gave the wrong answer, he was going to lose his life. And the, the book says, I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. That's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2. I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. And he talks to him about ancestry and, and graves, and before he talks to him about the walls of the city in which he lived being broken down. Wise. Because the king understood ancestry. He was king because his father had been king. So the the whole focus of that little passage is God gave him wisdom and answer to the prayer. I'm not told the words of the prayer are. Just help me, whatever it was. Help me. I pray to the God of heaven. And if you and I are going to be wise towards those who are outside of the faith, then we need to be wise. And whenever we pray, we should have a sense of praying for wisdom. I mean, I make a lot of excuse for the fact that I'm Irish. And Irish men always say what they think. That's why they fight so much. You know, there's nothing an Irishman loves more than a fight. And if you were in some of the pubs in Belfast last night, you would have had a fight because it's part of the package. But it's not wise. not wise so I need to act wisely towards those who are as yet outside of the faith but I need also to make the most of every opportunity that's a difficult balance isn't it to be wise and to make the most of every opportunity now every one of us will have had opportunity in this past week Opportunity to live for Christ, to to live our, out our lives in touch with individuals that we know and, and so forth and so on. And we need to have common sense in the buying up of the opportunity. The Apostle Paul says, I became all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. That's a huge statement, isn't it? He was a tent maker. So sometimes when he went into a locality like Corinth, he made tents and supported himself by his tent making. At other times he didn't. 
But whatever he had the opportunity to do, he did in order that he might buy up that opportunity. I have a great habit of recognizing the opportunity after it's gone. You like that? You know, the opportunity comes along, and I'm always reminded of opportunity knocks. You know, a QE green for those of you who are that old. But, you know, it knocks once and then it's gone. And sometimes an opportunity arises and you have the sensitivity to grasp it. And you just spend a moment or two with someone and just share something of the Lord Jesus with them. I worked once with Eddie Vass, who was at that time with, I think, the Pocket Testament League. And Eddie Vass was just absolutely brilliant with buying up opportunities, just just having the right word in the right situation and circumstance. And he was uh, working in Belfast with me, and um, we were spending a bit of time together. And I said to him, how, how do you do this? He said, I prayed to the Lord. I'll tell you another story in a minute. I prayed to the Lord that he helped me to recognize the opportunity. It helped me to recognize the opportunity. You've had Charles Price here to preach, haven't you? Hmm. Well, Charles spent a lot of his time in aircraft. And he used to sit down beside somebody in a seat and start preaching to them. He carried a, a small Bible, which he used to open on his knee, and he would say to the guy, do you know anything about this? Or whatever it was, whatever his opening gambit was, I didn't know. And he said he used to mess up. Terrible. Never knew of anyone in that situation that he had led to the Lord. About 20 years ago, he changed his approach. And he said, Lord, put me in a seat next to someone who's ready to hear your word. And suddenly the whole scene transformed. Getting the message. Pray first and act afterwards. Live a life which is saturated in prayer, not in in a sense of it being ultra-holy. I don't mean that in the sense of it being superior, not at all. But live a life which is characterized by just thank you, Lord, and, uh, you know, having that constant communication with the Father. Paul's adaptation of the message to all situations. You know, I was preaching recently on, on the, Paul's message at Mars Hill in the Areopagus, and he preached to a group of skeptics about the unknown God. The only time that we have a sermon like that recorded by the apostle. Him you therefore ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And he talks about creation. And at the end of the sermon, people are snide about what he said. At other times, he begins with the resurrection. Talks to people about the resurrection of Christ. In other words, there's a sensitivity in his use of what he knows of God. He talks about him in creation. He talks about the Lord Jesus and resurrection and so on. We need to be like that. And that's why Paul says, you know, pray for us that we will declare the message, that the message that the Lord gives, not some sort of notions that we have, but the message that the Lord gives. And finally, let your conversation, your way of life, be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. And you'll see how that continues the, the previous statement. 
Let your conversation, your way of life, be seasoned with salt. The Lord Jesus said on one occasion, if the salt has lost its savor, it's not of any value. We had fish and chips last night. Quite often a fish and chips on a Saturday night. See, without salt, they're not worth eating. Yeah? You need the salt to bring out the flavor of the fish and the chips. Our lives need to be salty. They need to have a, a distinctive flavor. Salt is a preservative But it's also that which brings a taste. And as you and I move about, we've got to be different. You know, I'm fed up with Christians trying to be the same as the generation they live in. That's not what we're about. Not that we should stand out like sore thumbs, but we should be as useful as thumbs. You know, we're not supposed to be the same as men and women who don't know the Lord. We are different. We have a flavor of God about us, or we should have. And as we share our faith with others, it should have that reality. Let it be salty. Let it have an influence and a direction. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we pray that your word might take root in our lives and it will be different tomorrow than we've been today. Help us to pray, Lord. So frequently we, we want to tell you things that you already know. Just help us to be real with you and, and share our lives and our living and our shortcomings and our joys with you. Help us to be thankful, men and women. And help us to live lives which are characterized by your grace. In Jesus' name.